You're listening to Time in the Word. In this section, Paul effectively used a double approach to warn the Galatians about the dangers of Judaizing legalism. The first was personal and subjective, and the second was objective and historical. In verses 12 through 20, the direct address brothers served to catch their attention. They were genuine brothers and sisters within the family of God, but the Judaizing teachers had caused them to have a strained relationship. Paul wanted them to be reconciled to him. Let's listen as Dr. Gonzalez begins his exposition of Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 31. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're not going to read the whole text, but we're going to be covering verses 12 through 31, and we're going to be speaking on the danger of legalism. Let's start reading. I'm going to start reading verse 12, and I'm going to stop probably at verse 18, which is as far as we're going to get. In this section of Galatians, the whole section we're going to cover, verses 12 through 31, Paul effectively used a a double approach to warn the Galatians and in turn to warn us about the dangers of Judaizing legalism. Remember, legalism looks the same today. We just don't use the term Judaizing anymore, but the, the, the principle is the same. And the first was a personal and subjective approach, which is verses 12 through 20. And the second is more an, a, an objective and historical approach. So in this first section that we're going to look at this morning, verses 12 through 20, though we're going to cover through, through 18, uh, Paul talks about the relationship he's had, has, and hopes to have in the future with them. And he talks a little bit about the, the strain that exists at this particular point between the Galatians and himself because of what they are doing, because of the very thing he's, he's addressing. Now notice... The direct address brothers in verse 17. I beg you, brothers. No doubt that direct address served to arrest their attention. They were genuine brothers within the family of God, but false brethren. Remember, they consider themselves brethren, though they are false. False brethren, namely the Judaizing teachers, had caused them to have a strained relationship, according to chapter 2 and verse 4. So the apostle wanted them to be reconciled to him. And in verses 12 through 15, he addresses their prior relationship, what they had before this present time. And he talks about the warmth of the past. We know that Christians often lose their first love. That's always a big danger. In fact, when we read the, the letters to the various churches in the book of Revelation, we know that there's a church, there's a letter addressed to a church who lost its first love. That's always a danger that we become complacent in our current situation. We lose our passion, our fervor, our desire for, for, for honoring and pleasing and pursuing the Lord. But not only do we lose our first love for the Lord, but we often lose it for each other. When that begins to happen, oftentimes it is a difficult thing to reverse. And Paul is working to reversing that current situation that he finds himself with with the Galatians. Now, he implored the Galatians to identify with themselves with him just as he had identified himself with them. Notice that he says, I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. He had stood 
for the uncircumcised Gentile converts, both at Jerusalem and at Antioch. We read that in chapter 2 of Galatians. Now it was their turn to stand up for him and for the truth of the gospel. Now it is our turn to stand for the truth of the gospel. He had surrendered his Jewish, remember, and he had great pride at one point about his heritage, uh, his position as a Pharisee, his education. But he clearly surrenders his Jewish reputation to become an apostle to the Gentiles. He had become like them to win them to Christ out of love, and it's always out of love. Paul had spoken to them the truth. It is the same for us. Even though the Galatians had begun to question his apostolic authority, remember he addresses the fact that his his authority is being attacked by the Judaizers, they've also begun to question the message of Paul, the very gospel that he had been proclaiming. Yet he had not turned his back against them. There's very important principles, and we just don't have the time to unpack them all. But think about that. Even though they were turning even though they were now questioning his authority and the very message that they had accepted, the very message that had brought them into a relationship with the Lord, he would not turn against them. Instead, he was working to reconcile them, to restore them to the truth and reconcile them to himself. He says, you have not wronged me. I mean, no doubt Paul hurt inside, but he still had his arms extended toward them in spite of the fact that they, had, they were doing what they were doing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, he could easily be saying about them what he says in this passage in 2 Corinthians, I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. I love you more. Am I to be loved less? He did not want them to think that he would hold them or their disaffection against them. So he reminds them of their past relationship. And then he now addresses in verse 13 the fact that he preached in weakness. He reminded them of his original ministry among them. He says, you know that previously the Spirit of God had directed him and Barnabas into the region as part of the first aggressive missionary outreach to the Gentile territory. We find this in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. In fact, he visited their cities twice during that missionary trip. And notice the usage of the singular, I preached the gospel. Now, it wasn't only him that went to minister to the Galatians, but he uses the singular, I preached the gospel. And he in essence, just simply says that because Paul was the chief spokesman for the evangelistic team. And we find that in uh, Acts 14, 12. He proclaimed what Christ had revealed to them without any alterations. And remember, this is what he is defending here, that very message, without any alterations, that now the Judaizers were uh, going after. We understand from the passage and other passages that he was physically weak when he evangelized them. He says because of a physical illness. This insight could simply mean that the illness caused him to move into the region of Galatia. We know for a fact that it cost him quite a bit of physical energy in spite of his illness to preach this very gospel to those in that region. He put himself out for them because he loved them and because he knew that the Lord had called them 
to evangelize and to minister to, to these pagans. And you, you sort of, you know, again, you think of the Judaizers and what they're doing, and the question sort of becomes, you see that Paul all of a sudden lands in this part of the world. We surmise from this because of an illness, so God in some way providentially directs him to this area, and in spite of whatever he's going, whatever challenges he's facing himself, he's still being faithful in ministering to glorify God and to reach those who need to, to hear the, about the cross of Christ. And the question sort of becomes, because now we have the Judaizers coming in behind them, proclaiming a different gospel and influencing these individuals to now accept something that is not what he had originally preached. And we think of the cost to him physically, emotionally, to minister. Were the Judaizers doing that for them? Did they love them so much that they did this out of love in spite of tremendous cost to them? Probably not. But he's reminding them of this. And we know from verse 14 how the Galatians responded to Paul in the past to his infirmity. First of all, it says that they did not despise, what, his physical appearance. Quite often in the present time, as it was in, in the past and as it will always be, people tend to be attracted to speakers who have a certain appearance or a certain giftedness or a lack of a handicap. Paul was not one of those individuals. People tend to gravitate or actually stay away from individuals who may be crippled or unattractive or may have some kind of voice that is marked in some way. Leaders are often expected to look and sound a certain way. And his critics charged, we know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, his critics charged that Paul's bodily presence was, and I quote that passage, weak. And his public speaking is despicable. That was Paul. He didn't fit the criteria of, and we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that his body was quite scarred. So by the standards of the orators of the day, he wasn't, he didn't look the part, he didn't apparently speak the part. But they did not despise him in spite of that, it says in the text. They also did not reject me, he says in verse 14. The verb means to spit out, to spurn, or to loathe. It is used of Christ spitting on the ground to make clay for the anointing of the blind man. Regardless of his condition, of his appearance, they did not despise him and they did not reject him. And then we're also told that they actually, and it says, received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. This is the past. In their pagan superstition... You recall that they first cried out in Acts chapter 14, verse 11, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. That's what they had been saying about him initially, remember? After conversion, they didn't treat Paul as as an ordinary man. They saw him as a messenger from heaven. They saw him as the personal representative of God. By the way, is that what we are? with the people that we engage every single day in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, wherever. Is that how they consider us? In fact, in retrospect, Paul actually viewed his physical infirmity, and he says this, I quote, as a trial for you. He was divinely ordained so that he might depend more on God's strength. He wasn't dependent on anything himself. He was fully dependent on God's strength to carry out 
the mission that God had given him with the Gentiles. And Paul rejoiced in his infirmities and in his tribulations and in his trials, and he endured them with love. In fact, the text even tells us in verse 15 that in those early days, the Galatians had an extreme sense of religious joy. What happened to change all that? Paul quizzes them. Listen to what he says, verse 15. What happened to this sense of being blessed you had? You had a sense of blessing at one point. What happened to that? They rejoiced in their salvation and in their deliverance from pagan idolatry and in their fellowship with Paul and with one another, in their joy, in their blessed state, they entertained no thoughts that Paul was wrong or that their spiritual experience was less than complete until they show up. Paul apparently had poor eyesight. We don't know if that was congenital or or if that was caused by some disease. Perhaps it was inflicted by the many uh, stonings and and frequent beatings that he endured, we don't know. But the Galatians had so much loving gratefulness for him that the text tells us that they would have gladly gone blind if their eyes could have been given to Paul. Notice that it says there, if possible, you would have. Ironically, kind of the humor in the text, or or the ironically, Paul was the instrument of God to give them spiritual sight, the man who was going blind or had some level of blindness. And they would have gladly volunteered their, their eyes to give Paul the benefit of a better physical sight. Let me just make a quick application. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you sound. Simply be faithful to God in carrying out the work of evangelism, in witnessing Paul was not that guy we think of as a leader, certainly not at the level he was now. But look at what God did through Paul and others like him, turned the world upside down. Don't let yourself be convinced by yourself that you can't because of how you look or how you sound. Thank the Lord for those things and move forward, depending on his strength to complete what it is he's called you to do. And remember, we said on Wednesday something that Stephen brought out in in the Bible study. We, uh, We make a distinction between the things we're commanded to do that don't require us to be gifted to do them and the things that do require giftedness. Being obedient to the Lord in evangelizing, in ministering to others, does not require a gift. It simply requires obedience. Doesn't matter how you look. Doesn't matter how you sound. Do it. God will use it for his glory and for their sake. Now he addresses the coldness of the present. In verses 16 through 18, their change in attitude toward Paul can be seen in his perplexing question. He says, have I now become your enemy? You would have given your eyes for me. Now I'm your enemy? See the danger of false prophets? See the danger of legalism? It turns people often against God and against his messengers. These were believers. Are we exempt? He went from being an emissary of heaven to being an enemy from hell, certainly according to the Judaizers. The Judaizers had radically changed the feelings of the Galatians toward Paul. Always take with a grain of salt. Always do your due diligence when people say certain things about certain people that you have historically or typically liked and respected. 
because it may be that just for a reason, with an agenda, they're trying to change your attitude towards that person. And the reason for the change is seen in the causal clause by telling you the truth. A time that we don't know the time of this truthful proclamation. The paradox is that Paul became their enemy by telling the truth and that the Judaizers became friends by telling the lie. The Judaizers had caused it to be this. Paul is telling you a lie, therefore beware of Paul. Embrace us, we're telling you the truth. When in reality, it was the opposite. They had started despising Paul because of the truth and were embracing the lie. Verses 17 and 18, the concept of religious zeal is mentioned three times in the version of the Bible I'm using. The word enthusiastic is used three times in those two verses. So it involves a deep concern about someone closely related to flattery. And it is used of courting a person's favor. So based upon motivation, it can be either good or bad. In his evaluation of the ministry of the Judaizers, Paul was making three critical statements. First, the false teachers manifested great concern and interest in the spiritual development of the Galatians. Now that sounds like Paul is positive about that. Notice that he says, they are enthusiastic about you. They're invested in you. There is a deep desire on their part about something regarding you. However, it was not really done for the good of the believers, nor for the good of the gospel truth. Because he says in, that, in, in, in verse 17, but not for any good. Beware, brothers and sisters. Not everything, everybody who seems to be a Christian is done for the right reason. It is, but not for any good. So the naive Galatians were impressed by the facade of the heretics. Isn't that true today? We love certain preachers. We don't question certain preachers. Solomon warned in Proverbs 27, 6, listen to what he says. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's what's going on. They're kissing the Galatians. They're enthusiastic of them. The second thing he says is the Judaizers really wanted the Galatians to court the favor of the false teachers. Notice in 17 he says, so you will be enthusiastic about them. See, that's the reason why they're being enthusiastic about the Galatians. At the end of the day, it's personal gain. It's power. It's authority they're after. And they're doing whatever they have to do in order to get the Galatians to turn and to elevate them while they despise now the emissary of heaven. The heretics wanted the believers both to admire and to support them financially. Sounds like a 21st century church in America. It's like Paul just wrote this epistle today. They were in the ministry for what they could get out of the ministry. They weren't in the ministry for the glory of God or for the sake of the lost or the saints. They had personal agendas. In fact, it says in verse 17 that their, their means toward achievement of this goal was the imposition of legalism upon the Galatians. Notice that it says in verse 17, they want to isolate you. The Judaizers desired to put up a fence of legalism around the churches and rule over their new religious prisoners. Let me just read you 
two sections of scripture that, that address this whole issue of false prophets. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They looked apart, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Listen to what Peter said, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Exactly what's going on in Galatia. Even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves, many will follow their unrestrained ways and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. That is the word of God. And third, religious zeal within holiness, truth and love is always good. He says, now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good. Listen, Paul wasn't jealous that these people were competing apparently with him. His ultimate desire was that God be glorified and that these people be ministered and, and, and blessed and however God decided to bring people in behind them to be the ones to water. And, uh, irrelevant. Paul wasn't jealous. He didn't mind that they could be attracted to other godly teachers. The problem is these weren't godly teachers. That's his concern. These were false prophets. And he says, in closing, he rejoiced when the, they learned from others during his absence. He says, and not just when I am with you. He doesn't oppose godly men picking up the mantle, continuing the work. But he did oppose, however, the influence of the Judaizers upon them. And so it, be, so it should be with us today. Let's embrace men and women of God who bring and make contribution to the church by the exercise of their gifts. Let's not despise that, but we must be cautious and careful that those coming are actually doing it for the right reason, speaking the right things, consistent with the Word of God and the character of God.